Hey, I'm Ryan. Welcome to the seventh Not Operator podcast, Not a Podcast. Uh, I'm joined today uh, by Michael. Hello. Uh, Anshel and Kilroy. Yep. We're up to a four-person podcast for the hated pun, Not a Podcast. Uh, so today for our topics, we've got, uh, in gaming, the Battlefield 1 beta and the PS4 Pro, uh, and tech will be talking about the iPhone 7 and, uh, the IFA, uh, conference, and then in guns, we'll be talking a little bit about techware and equipment logistics. So, uh, I'll hand things over to Michael to get us started in gaming. Thanks, Ryan. So, as we talked a little bit about on our last podcast, the Battlefield 1 beta was coming up, uh, and we had the opportunity to play that earlier, uh, in September. Ryan played it, Ancho played it, Kilroy, I'm not sure if you did, did you play it? I did not, I haven't had the chance, mostly because I don't care about it. Sure, alright, well, uh, yeah, so maybe we can get some of our thoughts on uh, our experiences with the beta. Uh, I'll start first, I I thought it was was pretty fun, it it felt like a Battlefield game, it has that huge, we we played Conquest and uh, Rush was the other mode, Yeah, Conquest, we spent most of our time in. I think I had the most fun with that. That's a 64 player, 32 on 32 combat. Uh, it's on a desert map in, in the, uh, the Sinai. Sinai, yeah. Yeah, which is pretty cool. Uh, that was the one where you had like a bunch of places you had to hold, right? Yeah, so there's always objectives all across the map. Right. Like A that. through F or something like that. What was right. the flavor of the two teams? Uh, uh, Ottoman Empire versus the British. Right. Yeah. Uh, it was... So I've I, we talked about this before. My experiences with Battlefield have not been super positive. I had fun playing this one for sure. Do you think it's you had fun because of the gameplay or because you're playing with a group of people? Uh, I would say a mixture of both. Although I still have some of the Battlefield complaints that I've had before. I still have now. I found vehicles to be pretty awful. Uh, what aspect? Well, so first of all, all the cars drive like if you've ever driven a boat in GTA. That's how the cars feel in uh, in Battlefield. The tanks are just, like, painful to drive. Not to mention sort of hampered by controls. But that's kind of realistic. Well... The tanks in World War One were insufferable. Agreed, but, you know, it doesn't make the gameplay fun. fun. No, but I will tell you, when I played... I didn't play as a tank driver, but I was a passenger with... It was better as a passenger, for sure. I was destroying. Sure. I had, like, almost 40 kills. That's how I won the Comic-Con contest. Yeah, I, was, I, I got was, first place on my... On my Whole, whole game, yeah. not a Comic Con, but just playing like the last two days of the beta. I, was a I, I got like forty kills like that. Well, the issue for me was a technical one where I play inverted controls. That's your problem. Okay, well <laughs> the problem is yeah, that you're in just the wrong. Game, it's not. <laughs> it's not consistent. So if you turn on inversion for some things, it turned it off for others. So I was able to get my normal aiming inverted, aiming as a passenger inverted, and flying inverted, but driving a tank not inverted. I'm so I can never the beta. shoot the. Yeah, I think it might be an issue with the beta, but right. but there were a lot of technical issues. playing across on the Xbox, correct? We were yeah. playing on the Xbox. Oh, okay. See, I played on PC, so it probably would have played better on PC. Yeah, potentially. Well, but there were a lot I of technical mean, issues. Like, if you press the start button, it would go to black screen yeah, and crash. I have no start button. Well, okay. <laughs> I honestly well, that's so the I, other thing about PC gaming, too, since there's a lot of console bleed and console ports as of late. They've taken away quite a fair bit of like the customizability of the PC platform. Like, it used to but, be able that. The like on the PC, are... you could be able to, like, oh, I want this inverted, this not inverted, and there's, like, a checkbox next to everything to be able to get that. But the thing is, with the with, with when it comes to Battlefield, they think of the PC first. Like, console and PC are developed simultaneously. It's not a port. So you actually get a much better PC game. Admittedly, 
Battlefield 4 was a pretty disappointing game for me. I poured $120 into that game, and I was yeah. pretty disappointed with it in the first three months. Um, and then it got better, and they yeah. fixed all the bugs. People are still it, playing it. it but people are still playing it, for sure. Yeah. 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 Even on the Xbox version, they have much more granular player. controls than what you're used to getting. So it has an FOV slider. It has like unique tweaks that you can make to the aiming scheme. Uh, which is more common right. on PC, so you definitely get some of that influence. And the thing was with Battlefield One, like it played. So I've been playing. I've literally played every Battlefield, and I felt like this game brought some of the elements of Battlefield Bad Company Two that I liked, where like you could what? destroy the entire environment. Um, I didn't realize you could destroy that arch. Yeah, I only saw in the last game. Like yeah. After the beta was over, people yeah. were blowing up the arch. I was oh like, yeah, Are you kidding me? Because <laughs> there were always snipers hiding right. there. That's how I get up there. Um, so, yeah, blowing up was nice. And then, like, the fact it was really destructive, like, it was kind of a pain in the ass sometimes because like, you couldn't hide anywhere. You but, like, that's on kind you. of, like, how war is. Like, yeah. shit just gets blown up and you can't hide there. That's why I've always liked Battlefield, like, from a more technical aspect over, like, games like Call of Duty, for example, because I feel like it's more, like, cinematic in gameplay. Whereas, you're, right. you're Call of Duty, you're just running around and shooting stuff. And that's why, even to this day, you still f- see Reddit videos where people are, like, posting these yeah. crazy things they did in Battlefield. On the top of a skyscraper, like, snipe a guy out of the helicopter, jump into the helicopter after him, right. and land in the helicopter, and, and then fly it away. It doesn't like, have to be realistic. That's what, like, games like, uh, you know, uh, what's it called? Uh, Siege. Uh, Rainbow Six. Rainbow Six Siege. That's way more realistic. Yeah. But Battlefield is, like, supposed to be, like, a Hollywood movie. Not entirely... But, like, so you can pull off stuff like that that's just really fun and cool. Yeah. Um, and I feel like the, the the pace of the game seems to have picked up a bit. I feel like Battlefield 1... It's better. ...is a little bit more fast-paced. Easier to get back into the action. Was. Yeah. Yeah, kind of that, was, that was my big complaint in previous games. And there was a little bit of that frustration in this one, but not to the same degree of, oh, my God, like, I'm in the middle of nowhere, and it's going to take me forever to get somewhere where something is happening. Right. And I think my biggest complaint for this game was... Um, when it came to vehicles, um, I found that if I wanted to hop into a vehicle, most of the time they were missing or gone or unavailable. That's true too. And the only I way mean, you could get into been one was common for most Battlefield games. Anyway, there's always some asshole who always takes but the jet or some asshole who always has the jet. Four, there was always like this tiny little like jet ski or like a little motorcycle you could hop on to get somewhere quickly. But in this, at least in what we saw in the beta. They only had like a couple vehicles. They had like a couple a car, planes. armored car. Yeah, horses. and like I just like most of the that time might just I found be a side myself. Effect of the beta, though. I, exactly, that's what I'm saying. I think it might be a side effect of the beta because I feel like you know when I played Battlefield Four, like even if I didn't get a tank or I didn't get a jet, I could have gotten something smaller that would have still gotten me somewhere quickly. Right. I'm still a little iffy on whether I'm going to get it or not. Not because of the gameplay. I feel that it was fun enough for me to justify you know fall purchase, but. Uh, you know, the last few Battlefield games have been beset by horrible launches, you know, like server issues and glitchiness and like all sorts of bugs that, uh, you know, this was the beta a month and a half before actual release and there were still a fair number of issues. So, uh, I'm not really so yeah. certain they'll be able to clear that up by launch day. Uh, that was my biggest Hopefully you learned too. your lesson of, uh, pre-purchasing at least. Oh, I'm not pre-ordering this one. I refuse sure. to pre-order anything anymore. Yeah, good. I yeah. learned my lesson with Battlefield Four. <laughs> yeah. the one, with the 120. Yeah, yeah. That so, was the last time I pre-ordered anything. That's, that's my biggest sure, complaint. Uh, Ryan's learned his lesson with Two Human. Oh God! What is Two Human? Two Human was a game about like this techno future with Norse gods or something okay, that that's was like for me. super hyped, and it turned out to be complete garbage. And, and I how much pre-ordered it. Sixty dollars. Xbox oh, that's 360. The cost of the game was right. Yeah. Okay. 
It was, uh, I, I started playing through it. I got about two thirds of the way through and I thought to myself, I've not enjoyed any of this. Why <laughs> am I still doing this? Cause there was no like attacks. It was just, you pointed the direction that you wanted to attack with your control stick, the analog stick, and your character would just attack in that direction. So you were just like holding forward and he would be wailing on people. That's really lame. You might as well have been watching a YouTube video while holding down an arrow key. That's fun. Yeah, so... It's like a middle ground between watching YouTube videos and playing a game. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. <laughs> well, bringing it back experience. to Battlefield, I remember talking to you, Ryan, about the way it was balanced, and my last Battlefield experience was Battlefield 3, and the way I played that game was to exploit the melee system. Is this, And could you clarify for the folks if the melee system still exists the same way it did in Battlefield 3 and 4, where it would go into an automatic animation when you were close enough or behind somebody? Yeah, I don't know if you do a frontal attack, but like I would sneak up on snipers in Battlefield 1, and if you melee them, what ends up happening is your character like kicks them over so that they're facing you on the ground, and you beat their face in with a stick. So well, like, really there were like seven or eight different weapons. Yeah, there's like a yeah, there were a bunch of, of melee weapons. Okay. I just yeah, because I remember to... in Battlefield 3, at least, like the rear 180 of a person triggered an automatic cutscene, well, yeah. like a local cutscene, and maybe like 15 to 20 degrees on either side from the rear 180 would give you that as well, and so you could exploit that by trying to side-strafe people, and they eventually turned into a uh, gameplay where it, people who were really good at melee got to dance around each other and just try and yeah. get each other's dog tags. I, yeah, nothing like that happened to me. The only... Attacks from the front that were animated, I think, were where you attack bayonet. bayonet charge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. true. So I, I don't think this existed in other battlefield games. The bayonet charge thing, no. where you basically you hit this button and your character starts sprinting <laughs> forward and screaming. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I then used, you shank I someone. Used, I use the bayonet charge to just sprint. Yeah, that's what I use. I use it as like an added sprint. close, uh, close it's, the gap. Yeah. Distances. What I I decided was the best gun in the game was the 1911. Your secondary. As a pistol. Yeah. I don't understand. It was more accurate than the actual rifles that you were being given. Right. I was mostly so, using a sniper rifle. Though. That was a rifle. That's okay. kind of like one of the Battlefield's big failings. Usually the weapons that are common between every single class are usually the most abusable. <laughs> yeah, I was seriously running around just pistoling people. I got like a triple kill with a pistol. I was able to kill someone, reload, and kill someone else before either of those people were able to kill me with their rifles. It's only a double kill. I, I know, I'm saying I got a triple kill, but like in that particular example, I was fighting two at the exact same time, right. and I stole one. Because they're noobs. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so, so again, you touched on this earlier, but my biggest concern with, with the beta were all the bugs that were in there. You mentioned the uh, start issue, the start button issue not really working, yeah. uh, causing your game to freeze, uh, various other glitches throughout the way. Uh, hopefully they have enough time to kind of hammer this down, but we know this is a Battlefield game, right? So it's it's probably going to have... And some launch issues. I think it be, it's, it's probably it going to have some launch issues be, in about three to, years worth of DLC to be honest coming with you, out slowly. <laughs> to be honest with you, I didn't really experience that many bugs on the PC side. Nice. Really? Yeah. I saw some really funny ones online where someone accidentally rode a horse into the window of a building. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there were a lot of horse-related bugs. <laughs> and I found something cool. So most of the guns in Battlefield have bullet drop, you know, to make it a little more realistic. Not all of them do. The gun you have on the back of your horse has no bullet drop. And so I, I recorded a hilarious video, at least to me, of I see the, you know, the reflection of a sniper way in the distance. So I put my crosshairs over him on a horse and I fire and it does like 80 damage. 
reload and I fire again and he's he's got a freaking sniper and he can't hit me at that distance and I can't even really see him I'm just putting <laughs> my crosshairs over the glare on the screen and from I ended up sniping the sniper one-handed from the back of a horse <laughs> I don't think that's how it's supposed to go yeah they'll probably fix the you're that drop. good apparently I'm that good yeah you're Lawrence of Arabia it was <laughs> you have become the horse yep. yeah so, a little abusable yes yeah, so that's the big question we'll see actually kind of what they fix for launch if if anything I don't know they'll have time to My fix some of that slow. stuff but they've been running a really large campaign for it too like I noticed the monster energy drinks here at DLI started having Battlefield 1 advertisements on them and they were oh, wow. every single one of the soldiers they featured on there was black which made me question exactly what they were going for <laughs> yeah I don't That's... know yeah I don't I don't think that was the uh, primary demographic in yeah. the war and then Kilroy you, briefly you, well, you touched on this earlier too you asked a question about the single player campaign yeah uh they haven't talked about it yet. They're keeping that under wraps for now, which is weird because the game's coming out in like a month. <laughs> but I actually liked the Battlefield 4 campaign. I think it came out around the same time as Call of Duty Ghosts. And I okay. remember playing both campaigns like pretty much simultaneously. And I actually enjoyed the Battlefield 4 campaign more than I did the Ghosts campaign. I don't even remember it. Yeah. yeah I mean, I'm not I a campaign player. Had. Battlefield has always been a multiplayer game. Adding a campaign just seems odd to me. Well, uh, it's entertaining. The Battlefield from 3 the campaign was mildly entertaining, and it just made no sense at the end, and suddenly it yeah. over. Yeah, similar. Yeah, yeah, I remember that one. But hopefully I mean, we'll see more about that soon. It should be fun to yeah. play. I'm at still going to wait for reviews to and come it out. It isn't riding off the idea of like Modern Warfare and Call of Duty, where everything was a nuke, and you just got hit by a nuke, and nukes are everywhere, so let's talk about <laughs> nuclear stuff. Yeah. Nukes. nukes. I think we're circling back around, right? This is going back to World War One, and soon we'll be back... To uh, fighting Nazis. Yeah. Just wait. I, I feel I, too. I'm waiting oh, wait. for the battlefield where we come out and we're fighting Viet Cong and we get to stab Viet Cong in the face and watch our there buddy die one. from a heroin overdose. Battlefield Vietnam. There was one. Yeah, yeah. yeah that one came out and then immediately just got like shoved underneath the carpet because nobody oh, yeah. wanted to talk about Vietnam. Right. Definitely. That's true. I, I But I remember <laughs> playing it in like middle school. You know, yeah, it's a very another war I can, I, I can only think of a single game related to the gulf war like in 91 yeah that's uh, what's that on. conflict desert yeah what's that conflict that, desert storm on the gamecube game. uh a just as relevant a war is just a relevant a console <laughs> <laughs> i don't know it was a fun game at the time also just, the korean war never gets haven't. anything yeah, yeah, that's true. That's very true. There are a lot of wars that could be turned into games. That's what should, that's be the game that we create, guys. A Korean War video game. Korean. Oh God. Except it should be on the side of the South Koreans in a schoolhouse with those students. That that was a movie. Never mind. We'll get okay. we'll get John Hamm and we'll turn it into a Mad Men tie-in video game and sell all the monies. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Mad Men the game. Yeah. All right. Well, so yeah, we I think we covered pretty much everything we want to say about Battlefield. It was fun. I, I'm most likely going to get it. I, it's, it sucks that I'm going in knowing that there's going to be issues at launch, but yeah. it sucks that we have to like accept that. Uh, <laughs> but I just know that. You know, I feel like that's unacceptable eventually. for us as consumers to like be yeah. like, okay, you're going to release the flawed product, but I'm going to buy it anyway. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that, that should lead into I, our tech talk, but, but it's not yet. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> the thing with that is that there really isn't much else that I'm playing right now, and I just want a I new, play a lot fresh of game. I'm, I'm like okay soccer, continuing right? to play Halo. I mean, I'm in car soccer. Yeah, we could keep playing Rocket League. Yeah. But uh, I don't know. I don't mind continuing to play Halo. They keep adding new stuff. It's fun. Uh, and I'm looking forward to Dishonored 2 as a new single-player game to play in November. So yeah, I was considering trying out Halo for the PC just to see how it plays. Oh, nice. It should be cool. It's free, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. 
Nice. All right, so let's go to our other gaming topic, which is the PS4 Pro, which was finally announced. It was uh, codenamed PS Neo. Right. Right. To go along with the, the Morpheus headset. That was the code for that, which, which is PSVR yeah. now, yeah. So uh, maybe Ryan, if you want to list off some of the specs that we got here for the PS4 Pro that was just announced. Uh, sure. So it's still uh, an AMD Jaguar custom CPU. Um, they've dramatically increased their graphics performance. Uh, it's based on AMD's latest graphics architecture, Polaris, uh, and it's got 4.2 teraflops of, uh, of performance that it can push through the GPU. That's a lot of teraflops. <laughs> I suppose it is. Uh, same amount of RAM. Uh, it comes with one terabyte standard of storage, um, and that's basically it. What's interesting about it to me was, you know, when we first heard about it, we thought, okay, so right now it's Xbox One versus PS4. And then we know that they're making a PS4 Slim, and Xbox has their Xbox One S, which is basically a, you know Xbox One which Slim, is, and, came out already. and then which came out already. And then PS4 had Neo, Project Neo coming, and Microsoft has Project Scorpio on the horizon. We thought, okay, so that's how they're going to match up. It's going to be Slim versus Slim, and Neo versus Scorpio. And what's ended up happening is Neo, which is the PS4 Pro, came out this year. When Scorpio is not coming until next year. But we kind of knew that already. I, I didn't realize it was going to be so soon. But what's the interesting to me is that it, you know, the PS4 Slim isn't really competing with the Xbox One S. Right now, the Xbox One S is actually com- competitive yeah. with the PS4 Pro. Mm, I disagree. From a... From a I don't yeah, no, I think it's fairly competitive. From yeah. what perspective? You can't play games... From a features perspective. Yeah, but... Performance-wise, they're not even close. Performance-wise, they're not close. Which but... means you can't do VR, which is the whole point of the Scorpio. Okay, but my point is that if the Xbox One S, which I believe is competitive with the PS4 Pro minus the VR aspect, Xbox One has Scorpio coming next year, and it's going to be dramatically more potent but than the PS4 Pro, the... and Sony's not going to have an answer. The problem with your comparison is when you're comparing the One S to the Pro, if you fully load a 1S to Pro specs, it costs the same and it's slower. Uh, it costs so, the same? The yeah. One, the, they, the, the, price, the price of the 1S fully spec is like over 400, it's like 400 bucks. Oh, if you get the 2 terabyte version. Yeah. So, it's like, you, you end up paying the same price, but you don't... Well, but you get half the storage capacity. Really, if you want yeah, to compare but, apples to apples... It's fifty dollars cheaper because the one terabyte yeah, version of each. But it's what's the performance? It's like less than a half. Uh, in terms of GPU throughput, that's true. But for example, the PS4 Pro doesn't even have four K Blu Ray support, and the Xbox One S does. Yes, but that's not a function of that's not a function of GPU performance. That's fun- fixed. Right, function I'm not saying that it's hardware. a GPU performance issue. I'm saying in terms of competitive in the market as far right. as what well, consumers will this go is, for. This is this is what I think the fundamental concept is. Between Xbox and PlayStation. PlayStation's goal from day one with the PS4 was to deliver the best gaming experience to gamers and to continue to deliver that throughout the entire generation. And that's why you saw the PlayStation just obliterate the Xbox in terms of sales. Partially. Yeah, they had better exclusives to a certain degree. Uh, that I would disagree yeah. with completely. I would well, say that it was, was, it was like totally PR spin and Microsoft. Everybody was having a row about like uh, what Digital Microsoft games. was doing. Yeah. Right. Right, but that that on top of the fact that they focused just on gaming, they didn't try to divert towards entertainment. That's and true. Once again, um, you know, you you see this 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 difference between one is a gaming platform, one's an entertainment platform. So 
yes, you do get more entertainment capabilities out of the Xbox One S, but you don't get as much gaming capability out of it. Well, but my point is that with Scorpio coming out next year, from a specs comparison, it destroys the PS4 Pro. It's not even close. It's fifty percent faster. But this is more than fifty percent faster than One S. Right, but my point so is that the One S, it. the One S was never meant to compete with the Pro. The fact yeah. that they're competitive in the market right now is what's shocking That's to me because key. from a spec sheet, they should not be competitive. I'm agreeing with you on that. Uh, the issue is that Xbox One has, for the first time, been outselling the PS4 since August. From actually. like multiple months in a row in the right. U.S. Uh, right, in the U.S., but I don't know about globally. Globally, Sony wins by default no matter what generation you're talking Fika about. Machines. Mm, that's not true. It absolutely they, they is. Beat, the 360 beat the PlayStation 3. Not internationally. No, overall, globally. Uh, that yeah. must have been mostly predicated on U.S. sales. That's possible, but I'm just saying glo- globally, okay. PlayStation... But yeah, basically, they're FIFA machines abroad. Yes. I mean, people buy PlayStation and play FIFA, and that's it. So yeah, this is the point that Ryan made earlier, is that the Xbox One S wasn't intended to compete with the PS4 Pro. Right. The Xbox One S was intended to compete with the PS4 Slim. Which it absolutely demolishes in terms right. of features. But I think also, you have to remember, Sony's releasing their Pro console a year earlier. Right. So, so my question is, will they have an the... answer to Scorpio next year? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I think this is, this was their plan. That's going to confuse gamers. That's they could have a die strength. Why would but, they have but you know five what? different PS4 PlayStation was already yeah. talking about the fact that they're increasing That's their That's just going to dilute their own market again. Exactly. They're increase, increasing their cadence, though. The, yeah, I mean, but so is Microsoft, right? Right. I, I just think that now you're going to see the tide start to turn. You're seeing, you know, Xbox sales start to improve over PS4 sales. And I think with Scorpio sort of hanging over the gaming market, you're going to see that even more uh, severely. Yeah, I think, I think this has been the start of, like, Sony's time to actually like you know upset gamers kind of i think they were expecting more from ps4 pro and all they got was upscaled 4k yeah <laughs> it's really yeah. there's not that much benefit like you said there's the vr aspect right i don't know how many ps4s it's actually going to sell because morpheus you know the the ps what do they call it psvr psvr yeah it makes sense uh <laughs> it's really i mean you wouldn't you rather have htc or uh vive like it's a much better solution. Of course. But the thing is, it costs $800 to have the whole solution with the compute and the headset. Right. But just the headset costs 800 bucks. But my point is that VR is still sort of niche. And so people yeah. who are going to be looking to get into VR are going to say, well, I don't want to deal with this half measure nonsense. I want real, the best VR I can get. I think I... the average gamer is going to say, I'm not jumping into this weird VR crap yet. I think I think that's I think that's probably partially true, but you also have to remember there's already 50 million PlayStation 4s out there that can already run PSVR. Admittedly, not as well as as the Pro, um, but I think you're going to have a percentage of people that are just curious, and it's a $400 curiosity. Um, and I think there's going to be people who just will, will blow that money just because there's one of the games that make them want to go go for it. Um, but I don't think people are going to go the full. Full, you know, PS4, Pro, and PSVR all at once. Yeah. I just don't see it being a huge draw. That's just the all. rich bastards. 
Uh, yeah, if they're, if they're rich bastards, taking it much more market share than it already is. Like, it's fair that you're making the argument of like, I want the best of everything, which is fair. Like, that's how we buy stuff. But of a majority of the people who are out there buying consoles are the kind of people who say, I just want something that works that I don't have to take care of. Yeah, right. And my point the is that those people will not be buying VR products at all. That's all I'm saying. I disagree. You think? That I, I think. I yeah. think there's people who are interested in VR and they don't want to spend fifteen hundred dollars. Yeah, there's, there's definitely going to be a fair number in the market that's going to buy into VR on the console level as a way of just saying, like, hey, I have something that does VR. Uh, and we'll people, see. people do the stupid phone-slotted stuff that costs $40. Why yeah, but as a novelty, more? I don't think they do that as a real VR experience. They no, do but that. they do it... I mean, but I mean, people buy a lot of consoles on a novelty. That's fair. So it's like... Mm, but it's not just that. But I don't like, think people are going to be buying like PS4 Pros for the purpose VR. of playing VR. I will. You'll be buying. Well, okay. You're you're definitely not a standard case. <laughs> you have to do it, basically. Yes. Yeah. Sure. I mean, the general person is not going to say, "I'd like VR. I don't have anything. So, what should I do?" Well, I should buy a PS4 Pro and then buy a PSVR. I probably won't buy an Xbox One S because I already have an Xbox One. Yeah, it doesn't make but sense. But I will buy a PS4 Pro because I don't have a PS4 already. Okay. And I want to play PSVR. However, I will say that I am fairly disappointed with the fact that it does not have 4K Blu-ray playback. Yeah, which is weird because they've always been the first ones to they standardize they standardize <laughs> Blu-ray in the first place. Oh yeah, <laughs> and I have like, a Sony 4K Blue 4K TV. What's which the is market uh, injection right now on how many people have actually experienced VR? Pretty because small, tiny. It has to be limited to people that attend conventions. Yeah, because like I haven't seen any standard consumer here at least, and this is like fairly nerdy section of like you know the standard American populace that has ever seen VR. Like, I showed them a Google Cardboard and they had their minds blown. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it has, a lot of it has to do with Cardboard right now. Um, there's been millions of people that have tried Cardboard. So, I think it's 5 million. But mm -hmm. then you've got the conferences and you've got people who already have it. But it's still a fairly small portion and that is the biggest problem VR has. Which is why companies like Oculus are putting a VR demo station in every Best Buy. Right. Mm -hmm. They want to start getting people... They, yeah, hyped and, and not feeling that it's, you know, another... What was Nintendo's solution called way back in the day? The early 90s, they had a VR... Virtual yes. Boy. Virtual, Virtual Boy. Boy, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so... A little glove. You don't want people thinking that that's what you've got here. But, um, yeah, the I Virtual mean... Virtual Boy was actually fun. It just caused <laughs> headaches on a yeah, lot of people. Well, that's the downside. Uh, I think we're going to see Sony sales start slipping, and I think that yeah. by next year with Scorpio hitting the shelves, they're going to have a really rough, you know, 2017 holiday season. Yeah, it's been a while since Sony kind of made, like, a step backwards, I think, in this generation of consoles, and I think this is the first trend in that direction, and we'll see kind of... Right. Not to mention there's been a little bit more Sony news. Fallout 4, right? Xbox One got access to mods, like, the you know, yeah. PC has mods, Xbox One has mods. Sony initially were saying PS4 is delayed, and now they're saying it's they're not going to get mods at all, and it's as a result of Sony policies. Yeah. So I know a lot of people were really upset about that as well. I think Sony's sort of losing a little bit of the goodwill they had in the market. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it's a good, it's a good point that you may able to see kind of well. That's where traditionally we're at next year. that's Policy traditionally exactly how Sony works, though. Like, Sony in the Japanese market is just synonymous with how we think of uh, Apple. Just like, yeah, fuck you, you're buying it anyway, because we're Sony. 
I mean, in Japan, I felt like that's more Nintendo's. I mean, I always call Nintendo the Apple of gaming. But Nintendo's like that global. There we go. I was wondering if we, I was wondering how we get Nintendo into this podcast with the topics that we had, and we found and a way. We, we found it. a way. Shout everybody. We always find a way. Well, as long as you talk about Apple and gaming at the same time, it's almost impossible to avoid. Especially now that they have the partnership, right? Oh my god. Yeah. yeah. Well, Super I'll Mario save Ray. that for the iPhone Seven talk. Okay. All right. Yeah, I think I think we probably that's a good segue button on. Uh, yeah, all right, all right, let's segue into that. That's that's perfect timing. So Super Mario run our way into the iPhone 7 conversation. Oh, my God. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> uh, iPhone 7 was announced. Uh, as everyone expected, no more headphone jack. Uh, so You can go jack yourself. You can go jack yourself <laughs> off, I guess. With a couple of dongles. Yeah. <laughs> they give you dongles for that sort of thing now, I hear, <laughs> for jacking it. Uh, <laughs> well, according to our friend who works in friendly neighborhood North Korea, it's mostly for hardware space because a uh, 3.5 jack takes up a giant amount of <laughs> space. <laughs> yeah, yeah, did you see the teardowns, nonsense. though? What I saw the teardowns and I saw the side-by-side. There. There's a piece of plastic there. I was going to say, what hardware improvements did it make? They call it a barometric chamber, but it's literally a piece of plastic. It measures weather? I think it measures, uh, like, pressure, like, based on your elbow. You get to train, and the time is compressed in it, so you can become more awesome. <laughs> so, I- I've actually played with iPhone 7. I went, I, my, my boss has one, and I got to play with it. It's an, it's an iPhone. Yeah. Um, the, the dual camera features are nice, um, but it's not the first one. It's not the last one. Um, it's We don't even know if it's the best one. So, it's another iPhone, but I will say that the, the A10 processor on it is a beast, um, and I think, you know, the fact that they went ahead and created an A10 Fusion branding, as opposed to just calling it an A10, leads me to believe that they're intentionally giving it this Fusion branding, because I think they're going to, you know, start using these processors and things like MacBooks. Um, the reason why I say that... Oh, because they love underpowering their laptops? Is mm-hmm. that... They think they're, their mobile They're bringing back the laptop? No, but if you look at the benchmarks of this processor against, like, the most recent MacBook... Or even older MacBook Pros, it's like on par, like with a 2013 MacBook Pro, or a, like the most gen- recent generation of MacBook. In terms well, but of the CPU most recent MacBook, I think, was running the M series Correct. processors. But that means well, that they're, they're already garbage. they're not they're not that bad. They're but, not good. But the thing is, is it's a mobile processor. It's this phone processor that's replacing PC processors. Which so it shouldn't. I think I think the but it's a forty. They jumped their CPU performance jumped forty percent. Yeah, I, I'm agreeing like that it's a an impressive processor. The chip is really impressive, but if you're going to be putting it in something like a MacBook Pro and you're competing MacBook, with MacBook, not MacBook. Pro. Oh, okay. I'm talking MacBook. The the, the clamshell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's thin. That's yeah. I was. Wondering I think if you're paying a thousand dollars for a device, you should be looking at a minimum i5 in, in there. If you're paying a thousand dollars for an iPhone, also. <sighs> Good. Why? Uh, if you get the 256 gig iPhone, it's $1,000. Oh uh, iPhone God. 7 Plus is $1,000. Well, so did you see the side-by-side pictures of the iPhone 7 and the 6S? They look pretty much identical. They're yes. the exact same thickness. More hardware space on the inside. So it's inside. funny. If you if you look, the only way you can tell, you the know, bulge. if you have one on top of the other and you're looking at the bottoms, the only difference between them is one has a speaker where the headphone jack is. So, there isn't a speaker there, though. You know that, right? Okay, well, it looks like it a speaker. It looks like a speaker, though. but it's not. I thought it was, too, but there's no. The speaker's in the, head, in the headphone thing and the bottom, so that's how you get stereo, but there aren't two speakers at the bottom. Right. All the, all the reasons I've heard, which are it takes up too much space, or it makes waterproofing too difficult, or, being brave. or you're not brave enough to remove it. 
Uh, the waterproofing <laughs> thing is BS. It's BS. Samsung's been waterproofing their phones for years. Yeah. The space is nonsense. I mean, come on. Android, well, you know, Android manufacturers have been stuffing way more stuff into their phones than Apple has for years as a way to compete. You know, they basically have to compete on specs in order to overcome any software limitations or stigma or whatever or battery limitations. So what you're getting are these tightly packed Android phones, and they still manage to find a place for a three and a half millimeter jack. Like it's nonsense. <laughs> well, let's also ask the question: Where why does Apple think the uh, wireless headphones are the future? I'm not. I'm not arguing whether or not so, that's the case because they can sell them. No, I think I think there's a pur- purpose for that. I think they want. First of all, I think they want to push a wireless future. I think they want to push Bluetooth um, into a better place than it is now by forcing people to improve it. Because if there's no headphone jack, you're going to force people to but Bluetooth. They're not planning on licensing out their W1 tech. They're planning on making it proprietary. And if you want to use it, you have to buy Apple hardware yes, only. That's, well, fine, that's the other thing improve. as well. Like Bluetooth right now, inherently from a consumer's perspective, is something you turn on and you never touch again. Nobody actually talks about how to secure your Bluetooth or what having a latent Bluetooth like on actually does. Uh, I've been inside and an Apple, Apple store. Care about that. Right, I've been inside an Apple store before, just you know, with somebody else who was there for some other services, and I turned on one of the computer's Bluetooth, and I saw that everybody in there had their Bluetooth unsecured, and I was <laughs> uploading text files to people's phones for fun. <laughs> yeah, but so like from a consumer's perspective, I don't think you. the Apple consumer base is the people you want to po- uh, pilot this program. <laughs> right, I, I think Apple just tries is trying to push the com- the industry in one direction. And part of the reason why is because I think they want to push it towards wireless voice communication. I think they want to make voice a new interface. Um, I don't think they want people to use, you know, physical touch as much anymore. They want them to talk more to their devices. The problem is Siri sucks. Yeah. And Google now blows it away. And that's really where they should have improved first before they pushed everybody towards Bluetooth. Because Google now is blatantly spying on you, regardless of whether or not you have it turned on. Which it does a fantastic job of. Like, yes. where did you park? Like, Google knows. <laughs> where, where are you planning going this Thursday? Yeah. I, I see that you you've been minutes. going here pretty much weekly. Would you like uh, guidance on traffic for that? Yeah, yeah. I get that. I go I to my parents' too. house every weekend. Google's yeah. like, would you like to know how to get to your parents' house? Like, uh... <laughs> I mean, I have, you already I had my know phone that I know how desk. to get there, so why would you offer that? Or you just I had my phone on my desk while we were talking about Teslas and stuff like that, and later on Google was like, have you bought a Tesla recently? Oh, no. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Anyways, iPhone 7 is a, is a decent improvement, um, but it's nothing revolutionary. How much is it coming out for? What's the 649 for the 7 and 769 for the 7 Plus. And that's for the 32 gig version. Correct. At least they did away with the, the 16 gig. Yeah. Because they killed the fact, 16 on everything except for the tiny one. The SE? Yeah. Yeah. I, it's nonsense that they were even selling But there is no 64. Still. Yeah, I thought that was it's odd. It's 32, 128, 256. <laughs> also, the, the fancy, crazy jet black. Courageous. The polished. The polished it's black. awful is easy to scratch, and they only offered in 128 and 256. What's the material they made that black out of? Is it like an anodized steel or what? No, it's a blend of glass and metal, and they basically polish it in a way that you can't see the edge. Uh Um, But it's really sounds really difficult to manufacture, and judging by the fact that you have to wait till November to get one, it sounds like it's also hard to manufacture. (laughs) Yeah. 
And also, I don't want one because apparently it right. scratches like no other. I saw pictures already of people that had them in their hands, like fingerprints and scratches, like mm-hmm. all that's, over the that's place. That's why I, I I I ordered a mat for myself. Nice. Uh, yeah, I'm mat I'm mat. actually not a huge fan of just like where we're going with the shiny gloss sheen, like as far as the aesthetic of our future goes. Yeah, I don't like, that. shiny gloss sheen or baby shit brown. <laughs> <laughs> baby shit brown is the future. We're always going to be fighting a war in the desert forever. <laughs> If not, we'll make it that way. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting to me that they're able to put out a chip that's as powerful as it is compared to what most Android phones have. That's where I give them credit. But but I would also say that it's also really impressive that they're able to do a single generation improvement on the same node of forty percent on CPU and fifty percent on GPU. Right. That's I, a, that's I just give their CPU engineers credit for that. Right. I'm I'm actually really curious if this next A11 chip. If it's not something like 7 or 10 nanometer, like, how much more performance can they squeeze out of this thing? Yeah. So, we'll see, obviously. That'll be next year, probably. Um, but, yeah, I think it's an interesting device. And it, um, you know, it stands alone. And people will still buy it. And people are buying it in, like, aggressive quantities. Which is unfortunate. I would really like to see people reject this move away from jack. universal standard and towards cool. proprietary because Apple is really the one that benefits. A, they tell you how great W1, you know, wireless chip is. And how but great you can they only are. buy it from them. Uh, your option is you have the dongle that they give you. So who wants to carry that around with them all the time? It's $9. And I'm sure that you're going to lose it. So yeah, that's $9 every time you do. It's the cheapest product you can buy from Apple. It, that is true. Uh, and more importantly, when headphone manufacturers start coming out with uh, headphones with thunder or uh, lightning connectors on them, they have to pay approximately $4 per device to Apple. Is that what the licensing fee is? Yeah. Ouch. Yeah, so yeah. Apple's going to be benefiting hugely from this. I this figured is, that was the primary. The iPhone profit, 7 profit, profit, profit. sold out in Singapore like twice over. Well, the the uh, right now to order an iPhone 7 is three to five weeks, and to order 7 Plus, it's like October-ish. <laughs> but, I mean, the thing is, I was talking to people who work at the Verizon store, yeah. I actually went to the Verizon store to see if they had any 7 Pluses, which they didn't. Um, but basically, they said there was no line for the 6S. You could just walk in and buy it the, the morning they opened. But this time, there's actually lines. And the fact that Apple pulled any shipments to any stores, including their own of the 7 Plus, means that they really oversold. Um, but I think it also might be some positioning that they're just trying to make this perception that, you know, it's sold so well that they had to pull shipments so they could fulfill pre-orders. I'm sure. Because yeah. it doesn't make sense that this, the 7 would sell more than, like, the 6S did. Because I think I, that the 6S was really selling a lot more to consumers, whereas the 7, it's, you know, the nominal upgrade minus a feature that you're used to. You know what I mean? Yeah, but you know what? Like, a lot of people who bought the iPhone 7, like, they just, the headphone thing was kind of an afterthought for them. The people who care about the headphone jack just didn't buy one. Yeah. I think that's how I, it is. I won't. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I wouldn't if it wasn't for there was There was also just, like, the considerations of what was happening as soon as they announced the fact that they were going to do that headphone jack thing. I mean, their stock price jumped, like, just started plummeting like well, Icarus yeah. from the yeah. sun. It tanked. And then when they heard about how well it was selling, it skyrocketed by, like, That was probably part of their plan to, like, go yeah. ahead and say, like, yeah, there's this exclusivity. There's, eh, see, we're, we're actually getting sales. 
Yeah, people probably all the people on the street probably bought a shit ton of stock right when it tanked. So <laughs> yeah. They could take they could eat that fifteen percent or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a dangerous trend. I mean, we saw what was it Motorola beat them to the punch with a, the a phone. Yeah, with a phone without a headphone jack, and and I'm concerned that Apple is going to normalize this, and we're going to start moving away from universal standard for. I mean, the three and a half millimeter jack is fantastic. We've had this since the '60s. And you can buy any set of headphones and use it on pretty much any device. And we're going to go, you know what? Let's just not do that anymore. Like, oh, is there a reason for it? Like, not really. Apple wants to save money by not including uh, digital to analog converters on their phones anymore. And not having to put them in there. And that way they can charge $4 licensing fees per device. Just be brave. Uh, Just be courageous. courageous. Um so we're just gonna stop doing that. We're gonna stop having this awesome universal standard we've had and move to something else. Uh, I mean, people are saying it'd be USB Type C, which I guess is better. At least that's a universal standard in its own way. But come on, like three and a half millimeter is—it's literally universal. Everything has it. Yeah, it's—it's uh, it's a bad trend in my opinion. Yeah. Anyways, I agree. Uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, no, I just agree with the fact that, like, uh, once we start doing that, we're very rapidly approaching that crazy-ass cyberpunk future where the company controls literally everything you do. <laughs> I mean, Apple kind of does that already. I have friends who I can't really text because they only use iMessage. Evil Corp. Uh, and uh-huh. they're like, well, you don't have iMessage? Like, well, I can't because Apple is dicks. Uh, well, I guess we're not talking them. Like, okay, I mean, there's about a million messaging services that are multi-platform, and you choose to use the only one that isn't, but... Okay, good talk. Um, if you want, we can talk about other trends in the industry for IFA. Sure. Um, yeah, so I went to Germany in Berlin, and mm-hmm. uh, there was a conference there. It's called IFA, which I didn't know actually stands for, like, something in German. No surprise, but actually it's about radios. IFA. Uh, yeah, I don't know. But IFA, IFA essentially was a, it's a, the first technology conference, and... It's the longest running one, and it started out as like a radio expo. Like the first TV was actually shown at IFA. Interesting. It's been going around since huh. 1924. Um, huh. So That's pretty like, cool. It's it's pretty cool, and it's enormous. Like it's literally like I don't know, like a kilometer in each direction. It's enormous. Wow. So like it's a huge square. You walk around, and basically there's a lot of pointless consumer crap like refrigerators, washers, and dryers, which I have no interest in. Um, but there's also a bunch of other stuff like. You know, OLED TVs, 4K, you name it, 8K, you name it, um, curved everything. Is there a um, section but... on teledildonics? <laughs> no, that is for um, AEN, Adult <laughs> Entertainment Expo. AEE in Vegas X. after CEX. I think. I think it's AEE. Really? It could be AEX. I think it's AEE. You guys would know. <laughs> um, but the the thing is, is that the, the things that were most popular there that were being shown... That were kind of the things that you're going to see this holiday season were smartwatches from Samsung and from Fossil. Um, there weren't very many smartphone manufacturers that showed watches this year, but it was mostly like brand. Other than Samsung, it was mostly like fashion brands that are coming out. So there was like uh, Fossil, there was Michael Kors. So like smartwatches are getting more fashionable. Um, and they're going to look more normal, and they're going to be hard to discern if they're a smartwatch or not. Hasn't the, um, yeah, but I wonder how well Knox they can do... some of the other uh, brands really jump into the game, like some of the old, older, more Swiss watchy manufacturers? Yeah, I so I, I know that the, the, the companies that I work with want to tell me 
that there's other companies that are about to jump in. I think Swatch is going to be one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Tag already has a smartwatch, but it's kind of okay. It's not the best. Sure. And they offer you like an upgrade to a real watch. So it's really <laughs> weird. Like you buy the watch for 1500 bucks, and they offer you an option for like $1,000 to after two years turn it into a real tag and not a smart tag, which is just bizarre. Uh-huh. Um, but that's the only one that they've done. Um, and then there's uh, um, Nixon has a smartwatch that they recently also announced. So okay. basically, the watch companies are finally getting into smartwatches. It's not just smartphone manufacturers, which okay. means it's actually going to sell in volume as opposed to just the, nerds. What's weird you get to your me? Opinion on this though, like so you have like regular manufacturers who are classically known for making watches now making smartwatches. Yeah. Mm-hmm. From that end, uh, you have, uh, or on the opposite end of that, you have the classical technology companies and smartphone manufacturers who are now making smartwatches as kind of an extension of your phone. Uh, from a tech perspective, which side do you think makes the better watch? Like, which has more features and which is better integrated? So, the reality is this. Um, the smartwatch manufacturers that make smartphones, um, they're in no better a place than the companies that are making smartwatches as a watch manufacturer uh-huh. because they're utilizing the exact same chipsets and they're utilizing the exact same OS, which is Android Wear. So in terms of experience, it's very similar. Okay. But I will tell you, this Motorola 360 Gen 2 that I have, I actually had to rip off, well not rip off, remove the wristband that came with it because every time I wore it, it bled onto my skin, which would never happen with Michael Kors or Fossil. They would never let that happen because they've had like a hundred years of experience making sure that your the leather that you buy for your watch doesn't do that. Right. So I think I think there's okay. actually some a, a case for watch manufacturers doing a better job than smartphone manufacturers. It's just weird to me that you've got these companies that, what, they now need to, you know, they've been making watches for 100 years, and now they have to go, well, we need a uh, software development team, like, to develop, you know, these phones. We need a hardware development team. And it's like, even though it's still, you know, in watches, right, that's their market, it's it's really not, because now you're you're competing with tech companies, and it's like, it's a totally different, yeah. right. but it's I a weird wearable category. I will tell you, you know, like, the Apple Watch is not really that attractive of a watch, in my opinion. And, <laughs> I agree. And, and, you know, hmm. most of these watches are really not that attractive, except for a very few, and I think the smartphone, the, the, the watch manufacturers are going to do a much better job of designing smartwatches than mm-hmm. a lot of these other guys, and like, you know, the, the Samsung Gear S3, which is the newest one that they announced at IFA, it's enormous. It is thicker than mine. It's got a bigger bezel and a smaller screen. Sure, it can pull two, you know, three to four days of battery life, which is good, but it's enormous. Well, that's mm-hmm. how, right? Yeah, battery, exactly. Battery limitations and, are and the guess main what? argument against smartwatches. All these, all these smartwatch manufacturers that are actually watch companies... They're not interested in having, you know, crazy long battery life. Obviously, they would love to have it. But for them, the thickness of the watch and the experience and the feel is paramount. And I think a lot of these smartwatch manufacturers forget that. I'm actually curious when someone is going to do a more efficient analog to digital converter to supplement your uh, smartwatch's battery life by like how we wind springs in an automatic watch where your wrist movement contributes to it since we already have systems for that to charge batteries. I don't think it generates enough charge to power a screen a or anything watch, like yeah. that. It's one thing to power 
you know, a, a, a spring ticking. Yeah, yeah, spring. It's another to power. Well, you could probably do it for something like an activity band, but you probably wouldn't be able to do it for something that has a screen. Right. Because mm-hmm. screens are like, if you look at smartwatches, if you just make the screen not, cons- if you can make the screen consume zero power, you go to a week immediately. In terms of gotcha. life. Yeah. So it's mostly the display that just we, We've talked about smartwatches on these podcasts before, and I'm very much against them. I feel they don't really provide much benefit over just having your phone, right? It's a convenience to not have to pull your phone out of your pocket, but you're really limited. You know, battery technology is really the limitation here. Um, it's not really improving. I mean, you can't add density to it or right, but the, in a safe this, way. When I got this watch, it had a day of battery life, and now it has two. And then right. all they so did improve software. Well, so it's software improvements and chipset improvements. But my point is that there's, to an extent, a limit on, on how good they can make it. And the issue is, I don't want to be charging multiple devices all the time. I know you're used to it because you have like a million phones. Right. But the average person has one, and some people can't even seem to keep that charged. So <laughs> if you have your watch that you also have to think about charging, it starts to become a little bit of a hassle. Well, if you can't charge your, your smartphone reliably, you should probably think of, re- rethink about being an adult. But, <laughs> I mean, the, the reality is it's not for everybody. But, and, I mean, watches aren't for everybody either. So I, I think that there's going to be a certain audience where that will get smartwatches that never would have considered themselves watch people's because of the pure functionality you gain by having the watch on. Like I can, I can get directions. I can send text messages. I can receive and make phone calls just from my watch and never touching my phone. So there's value there. I see it. I like it. I appreciate it. I'm sold. And there's a lot of people that are sold out. Yeah. But those are all things that you can do with your phone already. What you're paying $350 for is to be like, Oh, instead of having to pull my phone out of my pocket, I just look at my wrist. Right. But that's the same thing as saying, Oh, I'm paying $350 for this watch that has no function count capabilities, just a fancy looking watch. That's fair. So I can see time. That's a fair point. Right. And that's, I like the way it look, the way it looks. And I like the the ability to see time as well. Let me ask you this though. How, how often are these smartwatches going to be obsoleted? Because. Probably the same as phones. uh, It seems less than phones actually. Because right now we have a two, you know, a lot of smartphone manufacturers are actually doing two flagships a year, but you're seeing a one year, one watch a year thing. Even then, after two years, maybe three years, you're going to be like time to move to another smartwatch. Yeah. I don't see you as having at, more than a three-year lifespan on one. Yeah, at, at least with like a three hundred fifty-dollar watch, you're like what you're punching in the Orient's, the Ma- uh, like the Orient Mako, that that kind of low-level automatic, like you know, boutique, uh, almost uh, Japanese movement watch. Still, you don't quite get into the Swiss range, but those are considered like you buy one. Yeah, you keep that for the rest of your life, and you hand it off to your kid when he's ready. Right, that's sort of a trade-off, is you're not getting a ton of functionality there, but you're getting a lot of longevity out of it. Right. I mean, the whole watch, smartwatch thing is, is an interesting trend, but I think people are still, um, you know, there's a lot of limitations on it still. Um, I think that if, if the display becomes better and the battery life becomes better, it becomes less of an argument against, um, especially if the price still stay the same around 300 bucks, um, or if they even come down. Um, but the other thing that was really popular at IFA was VR. Um, they had a lot of VR headsets there. Um, Qualcomm launched their their own VR reference design that kind of helps push okay. out, um, you know, the VR industry into a certain spec level. Um, and then Alcatel had their own VR headset um, that they showed that was self-contained, had its own compute inside, which was really interesting because I didn't think they were even doing anything in VR. Um, and then there was also Skyworks, which is another Chinese company 
and they uh, had a VR TV where basically the TV streams VR content to a wireless VR headset and you can watch TV in VR. Um, that was the least useful use case. <laughs> um, but Is there currently Alcatel an one... industry standard for VR development, both the hardware or software, aside from OSVR? That is, it is literally the Qualcomm VR A20 that, that was launched at IFA. That's why it's such a big deal because okay. it's both a hardware and software standard. It's a reference design with a set of features with SDKs and you can license it and you can build it and you can make it. It, it doesn't, right. it's not their own brand. It's basically designed for others to use it. Cool. I so, just find it interesting that you have these lower end VR solutions where you know, everyone talks about the main barriers to VR being you have to have extremely powerful graphic solutions in order to maintain the necessary frame rates right. and response times to keep people from feeling sick. And then you're seeing stuff like Samsung, like, oh, it's powered by your phone. And I'm like, right. but the thing how is, do you get decent VR out of that? It's pretty decent, but it overheats in less than 30 minutes. And that's why the VR headsets like the VR A20 are such a big deal because you get much better performance out of it thermally. It's more more capable of maintaining sustained performance. You can get two hours of gaming out of it. Um, obviously, it's not going to be that high quality graphics, but they're already doing foveated rendering, so they can actually get more performance out of the headset than they would out of, of the headsets we have right now because they don't have foveated rendering, which for people who don't know is eye tracking. And basically what they do is they track your eyes and then they only render what you look at and then they render everything else at a lower resolution. And as a result, they're able to get much more graphical performance at a lower power pro pro profile so they can actually, you know, pump up, you know, 20 to 30 FPS at 20 to 30% less power. Nice. So that's really the future, I think, of VR. Um, but, you know, where you're more power constrained, you're obviously going to be more aggressive with things like foveated rendering. So it'll be really interesting to see how mobile, mobile development influences PC and console development with things like foveated rendering. Gotcha. Um, all right. Well, I think with that, we can move on from tech. Uh, hand things over to Kilroy here. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, go ahead. Awesome. So our topics here. Let's start with TechWare, since you guys all know about that, at least. Uh, it's not TechWare specifically, but more just like Kit, which um, you guys have recently taken a trip. And I know Anshel is a road warrior who goes places regardless uh how was your ex here. yeah how was your experience and like how do you live out of a suitcase like what was your like your guys's experience with that do you want me to start yeah go for it um so i it depends on how long the trip is if it's mm -hmm. two to three days i always carry my um my carry-on um it's usually just a um you know carry-on safe carry-on friendly kind of size sure. um and then i have my my tech backpack so I usually don't put any of my tech in my carry-on bag unless it's too big for my backpack. Mm -hmm. um, or if I decide to carry lenses, I put them in my, my carry-on. Um, mm -hmm. But my backpack is usually where I keep all my tech. So I usually carry my laptop, charger, battery pack for my laptop. So I have an external battery pack for it for when I can't find a charger. Um, and then I also have um, multiple phones, multiple chargers. I keep a power strip in my carry-on bag yep. um, because... I usually need to plug in lots of devices at once and lots of hotels don't really have that many power plugs, especially in the U S um, I usually carry a power adapter for that strip. 
Um, and then I also carry a backup power adapter in case I blow it. Um, and then I usually carry a bunch, I carry a battery pack for my phones, which is a rapid charging one with Qualcomm Quick Charge 2.0. Um, and I usually have multiple USB Type-C cables because all my phones are Type-C now. That's usually my, my, my you know, Road Warrior carry. Um, in terms of clothes, I have to wear pretty conservative businessy clothes. So I usually carry, you know, one set of businessy clothes per day I plan to travel, plus workout clothes and streetwear. Sure. Nice. Okay. And I, I've gotten packing down to a science to the <laughs> point where... I usually pack day of if, if I leave in the in the evening, and I usually pack night before with a couple hours. I've never taken more than maybe an hour to pack. Okay. That's Even bad. if I've been gone for like a month. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, your usual carry has so far, you told me that you had two bags, one for basically emplacing in your hotel and one for taking around with you as a day pack, yeah? Mm-hmm. And then uh, sometimes I carry a briefcase mm-hmm. um, because brief backpacks look weird up with a suit. <laughs> Although That's I fair. did just... I just did get a new backpack that replaced my damaged briefcase. It was a Tumi. And yeah. this is like a super fancy looking backpack. So I'm actually going to be carrying two backpacks now. Oh, yeah. Nice. I, I, I'm familiar with Tumi. But uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the suit and the messenger bag look has gotten a fair number of people now. I think it's increased with a lot more people traveling around. Yeah. And the interesting thing is I was going to do a messenger bag. But the thing is, is that I figured this backpack is a little bit more functional. Yep. It's a little bit more safe. And uh, it still like has like nice leather, and it looks it looks like a really expensive nice backpack. And the handle on the top actually has is spring loaded, so mm-hmm. when I carry the bag, it actually like like it's a solid carry, like a briefcase. Sure. So like the places you usually go to are you I uh, say continental U.S., Europe, and uh, it's uh, the developed parts of Asia. Yeah. Absolutely. I have no okay. intention of going to North Korea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody really does most of the time. Yeah, so, um, yeah Ryan, I don't Michael. know that, like, yeah, so Michael and I were recently in Israel, so I'll let Michael talk about his part first. So my logic when traveling, so it was a 10-day trip, we were mostly active the entire time, outside, hiking, some rafting, uh, you know, just yeah. in a hot location too. So yeah. my logic was just to buy a bunch of kind of like cheap clothes that I could kind of trash along the way, so I went about washing them, uh, so I bought like a three pack of like cotton t-shirts from Target and like some other just like cheap workout clothes, uh, just like some cheap shorts. Uh, I bought a nice floppy hat. That was nice. Get cut the sign out of my eyes. That was very happy. That one kind of looks like a safari hat. I, I've seen uh, that boonie that you had. Yeah. 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 That's the one. I'm uh, I'm very happy with that purchase. Uh, I'm taking another trip later on this year. I'm definitely bringing that guy back out. Uh, <laughs> coolest. I was the coolest guy on the trip wearing that little boonie hat. But, uh, yeah, so my logic basically was... You look like a tourist travel. no matter where you go. Yeah, yeah, well, that. But also, I kind of packed on the heavier side at the start of the trip, but as the trip goes on, and I wear the same shirt, you know, two times. I just toss it, and it gets lighter, uh, my mm-hmm. load. My load gets lighter. Uh, yeah, so, so you I, don't believe I, in laundry at all? Not on, like, a trip like that, where we didn't really have much opportunity. There was no laundry machines that were available to us. Ryan can go into what he did, but... Uh, I, I believe in laundry back when it's easy to do it here, but you know, being on the move constantly is kind of tough. Like we were on that trip to hunker down and do, and do laundry, um, especially when I just buy, I, you know, I just, you bought cheap stuff. So I, I just my logic was I don't really care about cleaning it; just wear it and wear it and toss it. And so I packed 
I had a carry on, which is like backpack with like a book and stuff like that for the flight. But for the trip itself, I had like a, a larger roller suitcase that you know had all had all my stuff in it. But that's, that's pretty much my experience. You had travel cheap and toss stuff along the way. Sure. All right. Uh, yeah, so for my experience, um, and I've had this philosophy for a long time, I actually use the same backpack combo that I took on a, a month-long trip to the UK a number of years ago, which is, uh, I bought a, like, REI, uh, it's, uh, a hiking backpack with a zip-off day pack, and my motto has always been to, to pack light, but also to pack in a way that, um, is sustainable long-term, where if, you know, for whatever reason... I end up having to live there for many months, which is, you know, obviously not likely to happen, but, you know, I'd be able to continue doing so. So, um, I ended up going kind of, uh, unnecessarily hipster <laughs> in my purchases with the pursuit of having, you know, multi-purpose wear that was, I mean, that's what the tech wear category is, right? Which is stuff that will look good and perform well under any circumstances, so I got um, a couple ultra-fine merino wool t-shirts, which are really light and soft. Uh, they keep you super dry. They dry pretty quickly. Um, they keep you cool when it's hot and keep you warm when it's cold. Um, I got some under They're armor. They're odor-fighting uh, and moisture-wicking, yeah? Yeah, the odor-fighting properties are awesome. You can wear them for like four days and smell like, you know, you just came out of the shower a couple hours ago. I wouldn't uh, go that far. I was just saying, I don't know. Let me sit next to Ryan on the bus. I, I wouldn't saying, go that far. Knowing Ryan, I don't know if that's really it's, possible. It's really, it is impressive how much it, it fights odor. Same with socks. It sounds, uh, but it sounds like Michael disagreed. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you that. It definitely helped fight the odor. <laughs> um, but I wouldn't go so far as to say that you smelled the No, no, no. I'm not talking about me. Okay. I'm talking about the shirt itself. So if I were to take off the shirt and hand it to you, it would have no odor whatsoever. Okay, yeah, I didn't test that, but I don't know if I want to. I tested it, so that's why I'm telling you. Uh, it's different also, your own... Beat yeah, off. you can't smell your own odor that well. Unless I mean, it's like I can. overly powerful. I can, because I can tell the difference between whether I'm wearing cotton or wearing merino wool, so... Is that what it is? That's what the shirt is. It's called... It's what? Merino wool. I don't even know what that is. It's a... It's a... Special it type of wool. Sheet. Or is it like... Oh, it's actual wool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actual huh. wool. Interesting. That was some kind of like actual like high tech material. Um, no, so what I got were Under Armour Techwear pants, so they just look like normal black pants, but they're slightly stretchy. Uh, do they help with um, swamp ass? Because uh, I, I got a lot of swamp ass in this. Can world. you can you compare <laughs> what you ended up getting pants wise to what you wanted to get pants wise for for our listeners out there? You're talking in terms of cost? No, just in terms of your other options that you were exploring with pants. Tell us about your fashion choices. What do you mean? Your Lululemon yoga pants. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, oh, the man. outliers? <laughs> no, no, no. I would have so... to disown you if you owned anything from Lululemon. <laughs> so Lululemon has, the, has one pair of techwear pants for men. The fact that you even entertained that. It was very painful. It was honestly the worst store I've ever walked Did into your booty in my look life. Good, though? Huh? Did your booty look good, though? <laughs> oh, man. I hated everyone in that store. I felt the need to try them just to compare, and oh. I came away being unimpressed. Did you feel violated? I, was, I did. I really felt way worse after having gone in there. I was there. ashamed for you. Oh, my was, God. Yeah, it was pretty bad. That's amazing. No wonder you didn't uh, tell me about this. Nothing but regret. <laughs> now you know. You're welcome. Nothing but regret. 
Wow. But uh, in any case, I went, I, I really only used like three shirts for the whole trip. Um, I brought a little bit of uh, Dr. Bronner's soap, you know, it's ultra concentrated, so I was able to water it down. I brought um, a universal sink stopper, and so I was able to actually wash clothes during the course of the trip. So I brought one pair of pants, one pair of shorts, like three shirts. Man, you sound really hipster. Uh, well, it worked out great. You um, brought a sink plug? Yeah. And, <laughs> and you uh, wash your own clothes? And a tiny clothing line that packs up really nicely. Keep in mind, Ryan had more time to do these because he had less time spending with actual people on the trip. Well, that was a choice. Yeah, yeah, I'm saying. Yeah, I was going to say, like, when I went on that trip, I don't ever remember having any time to go do any of that. Well, I managed. And they dried overnight. I would just hang them up. Uh, and so, yeah, my goal is ultra light and sustainable. I could have kept going like that for weeks with no issues with, you know, running out of clothes. I actually came back and I still had clothes that were totally clean. Uh, I didn't have to do laundry the moment I got home, which was nice. Uh, so the tech stuff is really cool because it's really multi-purpose. Um, yeah. and I, I mean, I'm that's... definitely a convert from wearing mostly cotton shirts to, you know, the, the Merino stuff for shirts, uh, wool socks also. Um, so I, I went for the smart wool socks. Uh, the rest underwear. of my stuff, like uh, underwear is Under Armour, Commando. like the stuff, Commando. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think that tech wear, especially for traveling, it's, it's worth moving to despite the cost, unless you go Michael's route, which is ultra cheap, buy in bulk, toss it as you go. Uh, yeah. it's just the difference in philosophy. Two, two very different yeah. camps. Yeah. yeah. Opposite, I mean, in fact. The downside is I missed some of those shirts that I had. <laughs> Missed them. Yeah, you like those shirts. That was a nice, thick hey, DVD. That, that was a mistake. Are you listening to our podcast <laughs> while I, podcasting? I, I literally like clicked on the link before. I had it in my uh, Chrome. I accidentally clicked on it. Interesting. Right. Yeah, meta podcast. Pod, yeah, meta podcast. <laughs> How about we just listen to podcast episode six? <laughs> <laughs> Continuing to talk yeah. about episode seven. Let Michael from the past take care of this. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's actually really interesting that you guys had such different approaches to clothing and traveling. Yeah, I so, actually I'm kind of in the middle. Like, I actually buy stuff if I run out of clothes that are clean. Yeah, well, that's ca- that's kind of the difference here that I was trying to get at because you're going to very low. I would say low activity because you do a lot of con walking. Yes. But you're in areas that require a more professional dress, and there's actually very few selections for that in the techwear sector. I know Outlier has a couple of those things that are out where you can get a fairly nice uh, blazer and a dress shirt and stuff like that. I'm generally pretty smelly, so, like, I have to change. I'd agree. I'd agree for that. I have to change. So, like, I literally, like, loathe. When I have to go to meetings from 8 a.m. and stay in the same clothes until 8 p.m., I yeah. feel disgusting. That sucks. Especially when I'm wearing, like, a wool suit on top of yeah. a dress mm-hmm. shirt. Like, it's just gross. So, like, I don't really have many options in terms of tech wear that can work for what I, like, need. There's tech wear suits out there now. Yeah. Just I'm a limited selection. Yeah, that's part of the problem yeah. is I'm pretty picky with what I wear. Um, but... I'm, I'm more leaning towards finding something that breathes really well, which mm-hmm. tends to be silk, which is ridiculously expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of, you know, what I look at. Although I will tell you, most of the, like, dress shirts I wear are pretty, like, tech wary. Like, a lot of the stuff Express has is, like, really high tech. And, like, they actually, like, do their best to, like, wick moisture and stuff like that. And, like, sure. it, it stretches and it's, like, easy to iron and things like that. But, yeah, it's... It's really not that impressive, and I'm really not that good. Great smelling. 
<laughs> and I really do to try and change as fast as much as often as possible, which is why I have to carry a lot of crap. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my personal philosophy and it tends to err on the side on the end of the scale that Ryan sits at. And I just spent a month in North Africa a little while ago. That was, I wouldn't say a whole lot of fun, but the, <laughs> the way I ended up packing was my main bag was a duffel bag uh, that maybe like 60 liters or so. And that was, that's actually pretty much all I own as far as civilian clothing right now goes that fits me. And so being able to shove everything I own into a single duffel, I had a carry-on that was maybe 30, 30 liters or so uh, from Timbuktu, and a day pack. I actually went out of my way and grabbed a day pack that has a uh, hydration carrier inside of it. Hmm. And so since we were doing pretty much like the same level of activities as uh, what Ryan and Michael have just gone through, and I figured it was a lot easier to not need to carry around a bottle of water and just have something I could just go grab a hose and drink out of. And so for as far as the brands that I ended up opting for, slightly more um, practical and uh, utility-wise, I I have a couple of shirts from uh, Triple Lot Design that have been standing up very well to uh, washing. So douchey. (laughs) Well, and I also have an Under Armour shirt that got a little bit of use over there, along with um, my general previously worn tactical stuff that came in, pretty much came in with me. And nice. so, as far as like self washing went, I thankfully didn't have to go through too much of that for myself. But um, I can see where the draw for Michael's uh, approach, where you just go ahead and buy and throw it away, because I had a couple of those shirts that I did have but didn't end up throwing away because we managed to find a place to do laundry. Oh, nice. Yeah. But as far as kit and gear and travel goes, the I would have to recommend people seriously consider packing light because in any given situation, just being able to grab all of your stuff in the shortest amount of time and be able to leave is probably the best idea out of that bunch. It just feels easier to manage and it's, it's you know, sustainable for a long period of time. So if you yeah. get stuck somewhere, or, you know, you end up living uh, the terminal, if you guys have seen <laughs> that movie. Yeah. I'm like, from Pickles, yeah. Yeah, no problem. I just wash my clothes in the sink. I'll hang them up to dry. I've yeah. got no problem at all. Although, I, I personally probably banks. wouldn't oh. get, like, the specialized laundry line. I mean, a length of paracord does the same thing without too much hassle. Yeah, I mean, it costs, like, $5, and it takes up, you know, about the same space as my wallet. Actually, right. less. Yeah. It's the equivalent to a lighter in size, is mm-hmm. how it was advertised, which is pretty accurate. Yeah. Oh, and uh, you swapped out your towels as well. You were traveling with a microfiber, yeah? Uh, no. I, I used microfiber in the past, and it worked well. For this trip, I went with uh, a linen blend, um, mm. which worked pretty similarly. Yeah. Uh, it was really good at keeping you dry. And uh, it's it unlike microfiber, which after a while can start to smell bad, the linen pretty much never does. The downside is that it doesn't feel as soft. It's much more rough feeling, but... Uh, mm-hmm. It dries really fast, and it dries you off really effectively, and it packs up really, really small. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was a good choice, I feel like. Yeah, I, I used microfiber, I think, once after we were in like the Dead Sea, I think. And yeah, it dried me pretty good, and it dried my, itself pretty well. My favorite tech wear was actually something I bought a really long time ago with my dad at Eddie Bauer, and they were the first generation of waterproof shirts. Mm. They, they were like, they're a bit stiff, admittedly. Yeah. 
but once you wash them a couple times, they stayed that way because it was literally baked into the fiber. And you could, I like my dad and I would just have fun putting our sleeves under the sink and it would just run right off. One hundred percent hydrophobic. It was pretty awesome. That's yeah. cool. That was the coolest tech wear I ever had. Yeah, there's a couple of the shirts too with baked in um, that we have for our uniforms. It makes it so that uh, it, it's got uh, insect repellent baked into them. That's cool. I, I would like that. Yes, I would like that too. The problem is like the type of baked in insect repellent they use comes out after like ten washes or so. Anyway, moving on from there, I mean, that's an interesting kit discussion as far as, like, considering what you would want or what you would shove into your bug-out bag if you were to ever build one, which I <laughs> completely disagree with the philosophy on that. Um, moving to, moving that aside to the equipment philosophy of, uh, well, sim- similar condition about what exactly you would need to... To... <laughs> Sorry about that. Somebody seems to have sent me a message. Um, yeah. Uh, I thought you, what, you got stuck. Like you had a memory corruption. Where'd you go? Nope. I'm dead. <laughs> no, uh, what you would need to equip yourself and your group with if you were to be uh, building a small unit force in your area. Because the normal everyday like suggestions you'll see out there on the internet, like everybody's heard about the bug out bag, which I absolutely hate. <laughs> Why do you hate <laughs> it? Because it's the idea of that you'll want to run away from wherever you're at. And, of course, like, the entire idea of, like, the whole rule of law has gone to hell. And the only situations that's ever really relevant in is if you have an emergency bag for getting out of there in case of something like a wildfire or an earthquake right. or one of those natural disasters. There's usually, like, the the joke is, you know, grab your SKS and go into the woods, which <laughs> many people do not have access to either the woods or an SKS. <laughs> Sometimes you have a... You also have different considerations, because a lot of people plan and they think based on doctrine and policy, which has come down from, like, you know, previous military experience and mm-hmm. discussions on how, like, oh, well, we can just go ahead and get together, you know, five guys and do exactly what a platoon level size of anything does, which is completely wrong, because you can't pull off the same things an army would do because you don't have lack the same logistics. supply lines. Right. Yeah, there's there's a complete lack in logistics there. And so what I would posit is that there's actually a fair number of guides out there, which I won't directly link or mention to at this time, about uh, starting your own militia, which you can go ahead and Google and get, get, <laughs> what, get what, put on uh, an FBI watch list. Right. <laughs> Wouldn't the, um, the, the concept for supplying and organizing your own militia locally primarily be kind of guerrilla focused? Or at least ask the guys from Oregon, right? Kind of... Kind of <laughs> Well, those guys are idiots, but I mean, yeah, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be kind of focused around the idea of guerrilla warfare and limited supplies? Yeah, and also staying in one fucking place. Like, how do right. they know who you are? Yeah, not to mention the fact that, you know, it's usually better to, you know, stand the ground you know, rather than trying to figure That's out also the very true. you don't know. And that was like another one of the points that uh, I was discussing with somebody in my cla- uh, one of my sister classes here at the DLI, is the idea that when you're dealing with what you know, it's also going to be much more urban combat. Because, say, from the end of the Cold War up until, like, the start of the invasion of Afghanistan in 2001 and whatnot, the larger organizations were really focused on the idea of, like, digging in, sinking in, like, getting in, get your foxhole dug and so you can fight right. the commies. Which, Macro war. 
Yeah, and a lot of establishing perimeters and, like, doing all that stuff, and then they got hit by, like, the fact that they need to go into a city, and suddenly none of that works. Yeah, and that's why you have guns like the Tavor, which is specifically designed for urban warfare, right? Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, bullpup design is The bullpup nice designs for... have actually been around since, like, the 80s. Like, right, but that, that rifle specifically warfare. was designed for urban warfare because of the West Bank. Uh, shorter, uh, more compact rifles... With the same length of barrel. Gotcha. Yeah. It's, uh, instead of the action being forward of the user, it's right inside the buttstock, usually, that's right up against your shoulder. Gotcha. And so we're right. all the hot brass the grip. out is right next to you. And the explosion is also happening right underneath your face. <laughs> that's true. I'm talking about the board just because you want to play Modern Warfare 2. <laughs> uh, the difference between a, a standard rifle is that the action, like, like Kilroy said, is in front of the, uh, grip, uh, whereas on a bullpup, it's behind the grip. Okay. But yeah. Getting back to what you were talking about, was there any other kind of insights you had on on the, the whole thing so, about I mean, logistics? For logistics of your own uh, stuff, like you really should focus on a single caliber that you can focus along with a group of friends or a group of people that you trust. Because like if, five five six. Uh yeah, buying buying military surplus is really nice and all that stuff, but uh, eventually that in itself is also oh, right an now. idea of like what's really common. For example, inside of the United States, a lot of the import on Russian ammunition is actually few and far between once you get out of certain areas. So, like, you may be able to go to a gun store, like, you know, in a, in a post-rule-of-law kind of world, and you might be able to find 5.56 or, you know, 7.62 by 39 for a little bit. But if you end up in, like, some podunk town somewhere else, you're not going to find that. So you're so, saying we should all buy revolvers and train with those. What are you most likely to find then? I mean, that, I mean, part well, of well, you're most likely to find five five six. I'm just saying you won't be able to find some of the Russian calibers. Like five four five actually has like no really right. I mean, no distribution. Part of the part of the you know the weapons I've purchased mm-hmm. was kind of along the lines of thought that you know there are certain types of ammo that are more common and there are certain types of ammo that are less common in the U S. But if I were ever to have to leave the U S., they may be more common abroad. So that was kind of my thought process with some right, of the Right, but the thing is, like, getting a weapon over, like, state and international borders is actually fairly difficult. <laughs> yeah, but if, but if the whole world goes <laughs> to shit, it doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, yeah if you're sense. fleeing the United States, I don't know that you're too worried about gun laws in other places. Right, and yeah. that's that's actually part of a different thing that I had going, where instead of a bug-out bag and preparing to, you know, spend time in the woods and doing all that stuff, you should be more prepared to do a burn kit. Which is uh, a fake referencing. passport, huh? Like a fake yeah. passport, like a, a secondary passport, a fake passport, some fake IDs, uh, ten thousand dollars in cash, in you know, small bills. Yeah, you I should make probably a lot more money, that. man. That's, yeah, fake passports sound expensive and also illegal. We we almost bought some. Remember, they were like five hundred yeah. bucks to get a prop passport. But that was a prop passport, and now passports use RFID chips. So good luck. Yeah. But yeah, I, I think it's an interesting concept. I, I I definitely haven't thought about the whole burn bag or burn whatever. Um, but it's it's you know when it comes to logistics and things like that, like you know that's actually part of the reason why I reconsidered my whole four ten and even bothering <laughs> to keep it because it's so rare, like it's unbelievably rare ammo. Yeah, it's hard. What did you it's you hard. bought a Saiga four ten, right? Yeah, but I I also got a twelve because twelve gauge. No, of course. Okay, yeah, hell, uh, that's actually uh, that separate uh, topic that I actually still haven't really quite figured out why exactly most police work traditionally inside the United States has actually been done using a 12-gauge shotgun versus anything else. 
I don't know, but it's common, so that's why it I is, actually it is. think it's much better. The utility of the shotgun is actually uh, what makes it still rank fairly highly, because you can load a shell with pretty much anything. You can reload shells, and you can go ahead and like do pretty much whatever you need to with a shotgun out to a certain branch. I mean, if you want to cook hot dogs, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or you could use that one round that like lights fire. That you is Dragon's, Dragon's Breath. Breath what I yes, just said. Dragon's Breath. I, I was, didn't hear you. Oh. <laughs> I have headphones on. I didn't hear you. Yeah, Dragon's Listening Breath. to our last podcast, right? Dragon's Breath is crazy. <laughs> Listening to episode six. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly what <laughs> I was It's plugged doing. in. <laughs> but yeah, um, it's definitely an interesting concept. I never really thought about that, to be honest with you. But yeah. I do think about the whole ammo availability thing. Yeah. Sure. That and everyone makes the mistake of like, oh, I will only do it by myself, which... Like, to a certain extent, sure, because the standard rule in the army so far is you can probably trust your battle buddies with your life. You can't trust them with your stuff. <laughs> They'll steal it. Yeah, totally. They will totally steal whatever's not bolted down. <laughs> wow, okay. <laughs> Makes you I feel mean, good. Yeah. Mostly because they're probably, they probably lost some of their stuff and they just took it back for karma. But then <laughs> you've lost your stuff and so the chain goes. Apparently. Well, that's that's good to know, I guess. Yeah. If I ever I, it's just something to think about. All right. Uh, so with that, I think we've talked long enough. Yeah. Um, I think we'll call it for episode seven uh, of Not a Podcast, the Not Operator Podcast. So uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Adios. Bye bye.